Greetings and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning. Again, thank you guys for being here this morning. Thank you for joining online. Thank you to those who will listen or watch later on. We appreciate you. We appreciate your support by participating even in the watching or listening. We appreciate your support by financially giving towards Genesis through our website, through Zelle, Venmo, mail. Uh, Thank you. We are grateful for all of you. And again, grateful for us to be able to be here today and to have more conversation about things that I think we all think are important, things that matter to us, things that pertain to God, to life, maybe things that we don't normally talk about on an everyday you know, basis, but things that are there within our thoughts and our heart throughout the week. And so this is an opportunity for us to kind of focus on those things and put them in the paramount place that I think they need to be. But let's pause, let's pray, and then Randy's going to come up and lead us in a couple songs. Father, we are thankful once again for this time that we have. And Lord, I'm grateful for so many things that we enjoy and are able to relax in, Lord. There's so much turmoil in the world. There's so much going on that is devastating, and we are in so many ways far removed from it. But Lord, may our hearts continue to go out to those who are in need, those who are in harm's way because of war, those who are in difficult situations because of poverty, to our friends in Haiti who are still struggling, to those in the Middle East and Ukraine and other areas, Lord, that are just going through hell. And I pray, God, that as we are mindful of these things and we're prayerful towards these things, we'd also be grateful for the things that we do have and are able to enjoy. And pray that we would do all that we can to promote your love, peace, and agenda. That your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we lean into that a little bit more this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been having quite a conversation the past month or so. Um, and I know for some people, it might have been a, a rough conversation, you know, talking about inerrancy in Scripture, talking about hell. Um, and so I thought today, instead of letting off the gas, I'd just step on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to talk a little bit about salvation today and some ideas that maybe would be important to include in that conversation. 
I want to start off in something that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. After he said this, they picked up rocks to kill him. And he said, why are you killing me? What good works have I done that warrant you trying to kill me? And they said, we're not gonna kill you because of the works that you've done because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And that was the reason they wanted to kill Jesus is because of the position he took in his stand being one with God. And so one has more intensity to it than just being we're on the same playing field. It had to do a lot more in their minds with your attributing yourself and God as the same or having some similarity that we see as blasphemous and we need to put a stop to that. Jesus says something again in John 17 that I wanna pick up. In John 17, starting at verse nine, where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. Remember that. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. So this oneness now includes the disciples. What exactly does that mean? And then what about the rest of us? What about those who aren't just that little group, but what about the rest of those people? We'll go down to verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved me or have loved them just as you have loved me. So now we're included or those who believe on what they've said, are one just as Jesus is one, and we are loved just as Jesus is loved? Just gotta let that sit for a little bit. Because what is he saying? Before I, I became a follower of Jesus and started studying, I I dabbled into some other religious and areas and when I say dabbled, I mean as much as a high school kid on drugs who didn't read much could dabble, right? It wasn't very intense. It was just kind of curiosity in a lot of ways. But the idea of one at that time for me meant, yeah, I'm one with creation. You know, I go out in nature and I feel the breeze, you know, and I, I smoke a joint and I'm just relaxing and I feel God all around me and we're all just one. I had this kind of, again, hippy-dippy idea of this oneness. But then I, I started 
reading the Bible, and I really, that's when I started reading is after I became a follower of Jesus, and I started just devouring the Bible. I remember the Gospel of John was the first book I read because that's what they told me to read. And I do remember this passage, and the idea of one, I said, yeah, I get that. I know one, I've been there. I've understood what I, I've, I've been at one with God and, and God with me, and, and it just, that's how it sat with me. But then as I started studying more, hearing more Bible studies, it started to take on a, a little bit different meaning because Jesus is one, but then the Father is another one. And then you have the Holy Spirit, and now there's three in one. And the idea of the Trinity, I, I love it because it really mysteriously represents that God isn't exclusive, but actually inclusive even in God's self. But the mystery started to become something that was understood. This is a mystery. There's three, but they're one. But then the mystery was trying to be explained. And by trying to explain the mystery, it became less mysterious. This is how it works, kind of a mentality. And in this kind of figuring it out, it started to lose some of, I think, the magic to it. The more I was taught, the less mysterious it became and the more, in a sense, exclusive it became. Dogs don't get jealous, they get competitive. Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, we, we see a dog and you're petting a dog and the other dog wants to come up to there and we think, oh, it's jealous. But jealousy is envying something that you don't have. Com competition is I'm going to go and get that. And so when you start petting a dog, the other dog says, oh, I'm gonna go get some of that affection. They don't just sit back and say, oh, I wish I could have some. <laughs> All right, they, they start to push into that. And there is something about this oneness that Jesus holds that I find intriguing because it's this lack of ego. There is no competition. He has no problem sharing it. In fact, he desires for that to happen. Remember at the end of Matthew's gospel, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. What a statement, okay? That's a big, big statement. And what does he say after he says, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me? He says, here you go, I'm out of here. Basically, that's what he does. He says, go make disciples, he puts that on them. He just gives it to them. This misfit bunch of fishermen who were still, you know, squandering over who's greatest. I mean, we even know they had issues after that. It doesn't seem to matter just as all this power in heaven and earth. That's yours now. That's more than just giving your kid the keys to the car, you know. I'm kind of like, wait a second, okay, make sure you, you know, do you got your license with you? All heaven and earth, authority, it's yours now. That is so contrary to how I think. And it's unfortunate because I often act more like a dog than like Jesus. 
I often get more competitive. This authority belongs to me and the people who think like me. This, this authority, this oneness has to do with this way of living or thinking. And we start to divide that up. And it depends on what your tradition is. If you're Catholic, it might be you have to be baptized in the church and have Holy Communion. Then you get the oneness. If you're a Calvinist, you have to be chosen. Otherwise, it sucks for you and you don't get any of it. If you're a Pentecostal, maybe you have to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. If you're evangelical, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, make a decision to follow after Jesus. And and they all have scriptures that validate their views and why they think this is the way. But they're all being excluding and competitive where Jesus seems to be emptying his pockets and saying, everything I've got is yours. God, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And now everything I have is theirs. And I want them to have everything that I have just like you have given me everything. I want them to be one just like you and I are one. And in our minds, again, well, he's one, he's God. Well, does that mean we get to be God? What does that look like? And even saying that, it's like blasphemy, blasphemy. But what do you make of these words? There's something going on here that's a little unfathomable. And so I want to look at a parable of Jesus that's probably the most famous parable he gave, and maybe we can get some insight into what this looks like a little bit more. And it's in Luke 15. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Starting at verse 11, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed this assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, literally when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's repeating what he had rehearsed. And then the father just seems to interrupt him. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf and has him back to safe, his, has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Do those words sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus just said in John 17? But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Is this for only the older son or is this for both sons? Because it seems like the father is giving this same prestige, honor to the younger one that he's telling the older one. And what did the younger son do to earn this? He came to his senses. He came to himself. That's all it says. He came to realize there was more for him at home than was here. Notice something in this parable that I think is missing. Which of the characters represent Jesus? Well, the father most think represent God. And then the prodigal represents all of us. And the older brother, a lot believe represented the Jews or the Pharisees, but also could re- represent all of us who have this antagonistic attitude towards those who are not in that same place. There is a lack of Jesus in this parable, the most popular parable that he has, and he doesn't get a starring role. I think that's interesting. It goes again to that place of there's so little ego to be found in Christ that he doesn't feel he has to put himself in this story. Now, if we were to put Jesus in this story in a traditional evangelical sense, it would look a whole lot different, right? The, the son would be out in the field with the pigs and then Jesus would come along and he said, if you follow me, I will take you back to your father's house. But listen, your father is a righteous and he's a perfect man. And you know that he can't take you back to bring back into this home, he would have to torture and kill you because that's how good your father is. But don't worry, I'm gonna go for you. I'm gonna advocate for you. And I will tell your father, torture and kill me instead. And that way you will be able to go into the house and stay with your father. That just 
is so contrary to the story. But that's a narrative that we have heard or maybe we have taught or have believed. But here there is an absence of Jesus's role in this. There is just the son who remembers and goes back and is welcomed. In fact, he it's almost like, why wouldn't I welcome him back? This is my son. He was lost. Now he's found. Rob Bell was once asked, what do you think Jesus would say if he came here today and saw us and, and wanted to talk to us? And he said, I think he would say, why are you still talking about me? I gave this to you. Go on, get on with it. Which I thought was interesting. All power, heaven and earth, authority is given to me. Go. He was passing the baton on, right? In this story, he's not even there. Now, I'm not taking away the value of Christ. He is how we understand God. He is the one declaring these things so that we can have deeper insight into him. But we might think that, well, what about the prodigals who don't come home? What about those who who don't change their mind? Or, Or what about those who still don't think about Jesus the way we think about Jesus? Again, who's not even in this story. And I think ego resists unity because the word ego means I. It is separate. And isn't that what happened in the garden in Genesis? If you partake of this, you will be like God. And the desire to be like God instead of being in unity with God was what they chose. And that's where we have this struggle, wanting to be like, wanting position, ego, instead of in unity with. Ego resists unity because ego doesn't get to go to the party. You only go to the son's party if you put down your ego and realize that everything is yours and always has been, and everything is his, and it always has been, and now you can celebrate. Okay? Reminds me, too, of that parable of Jesus and the workers, where they all went out to the field, some in the morning, some in the afternoon, some in the evening, And at the end of the day, they all got paid the same. And those who were there from the very beginning got so upset. We've been here all day working, and yet you paid us the same as these people who only worked a few hours. That's not fair. And Jesus said, are you envious because I'm generous? You can't take it that I am giving this to someone else. Like a dog, I want that, give it to me. The ego wants to claim it instead of rejoicing. How great for them. See, I I feel that parable. I'm still in that boat. It's like, I want more money. I worked harder. I think it's only fair. Again, the separation is ego. What if salvation 
is recognizing, coming to your senses, coming to yourself, that you are not separated so much as you're not aware, that you really belong, that everything that is God's is yours and everything that is yours is God's. You just are unaware of it. Or like Paul told those in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 8, Remember, these are pagans, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. You're living, swimming in God, you just don't know it. So coming to our senses, what does that look like? Coming to ourself, I I can imagine... It looks different for different people, right? It could be an epiphany like the sun hat here. Or it could be a a conviction to now I'm gonna start going to church or I'm gonna become a priest. Or it could be raising your hand to an altar call and walking down to accept Jesus on the stadium floor below. I, I think it could look like all those things, but what does it look like in China? What does it look like in Afghanistan? What does it look like in Sudan? Does it have to look like what it looked like for me? Can it look different? Are we getting competitive and wanting it to look our way? Because we understand this, because it's in our wheelhouse? Are we upset because God is generous to others and giving them something good without the requirements we are putting on them? They just came to their senses? Me, I, I had to I had to raise my hand in public. I had to, if you, you know, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Are you gonna deny Jesus and then? What if he's being generous and not requiring that for someone else? Paul told the Ephesians in chapter four, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Listen to this. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. What if God is closer to us than we understand and not only closer to us, but closer to everyone? What if one isn't singular, but actually multiple? What if one doesn't lead to competition, but to compassion because it is seen as an extension of you? We are called one body. When I introduce my son, I don't say there's my son's head and those are his arms and those are his legs. No, it's just my son. He might've lost his head when he was a teenager a little bit, but you know, he's all still my son. What if being one wasn't excluding others, but actually including all? 
And instead of worrying about what about those who don't do things this way or what about those who don't understand things this way, what about helping them to understand that they are a part of this family, that they belong, that in him they live and move and have their being, that they are his offspring, that they belong here. What if instead of worrying about if they're doing things right, we did things right and presented the right things to them so they would understand that they belong wherever they are, whoever they are, that there is a home for them that they are invited to by a God who loves them just as he loved Jesus which I think we all believe is a very, very big way to love. This should provoke some good questions. So let's pray. Father, I pray that we would lean into the mystery of what it means to be one, of what salvation looks like in light of your desire for all to be a part of this, that we would be one even as Jesus was one with you, that as you gave him all things, he has given us these very things. May we take the mantle that has been handed to us through Christ and continue in his steps as he is, so are we to be in this world. Lord, may we get on with it. And may all people know that we are disciples because of the unity, because of how we are one, because of how we love. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. May we all come to our senses and realize that there is a home where we belong, where God is reconciling the world to himself. And may we participate in that reconciliation. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Look forward to our conversation. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, we'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.